My Wife Was Always a Jealous Woman. Written by Mrs. Stakes. It was 7.45 p.m. on a Friday night. Truthfully, I got home from work at 7.30. I was just sitting there for 15 minutes, staring at the kitchen light shine through the window on this dark evening and feeling the sense of dread that radiated from that house. Her house. My wife Megan was an amazing girlfriend. Cool, laid back, sexy. The kind of girl to throw back beers with you at a tailgate. She was everything I ever wanted, but everything I never got. From the second I married her ungrateful ass, it's been nagging, jealous, insecure, dead bedroom, and no going out with my friends unless I wanted to be in the doghouse. I looked at the house that I once considered mine, and as I watched the lace curtains in the window, I felt my blood boil with resentment knowing that it's now her house. I took a deep breath and stepped out of the car. I instinctively reached for my pocket to check my phone. I remembered why I had been waiting in the car so long. I left my phone at home that day with Meg. There was no way she didn't read through my text messages or emails or browser history. Hell, she probably looked through my Amazon purchases. She never trusted me for shit. I sighed and walked to the door while my mind was screaming at my body to drive away and never come back. I hesitantly turned the doorknob and opened the door to my wife's house. And as I opened the door, a gust of the scent of my favorite meal wafted into my face. Beef roast in the slow cooker. Meg hasn't made that since the time she told me she dented my car. I was immediately suspicious. Hi honey, welcome home. I hear her sickly sweet voice call me from the kitchen. I hesitantly walked in and saw her standing next to the slow cooker, chopping up some carrots and humming, built me up buttercup, softly. Her long brown hair was perfectly curled. She was in a skin-tight pink dress. If I weren't so cautious, I would have been drooling over her. (laughs) Pot roast, huh? I said with a chuckle trying to play it cool Mm mm-hmm she responded with a smile in a sing-songish tone oh by the way you left this here today she said and handed me my phone i took it from her hand not breaking eye contact with her and the look she gives me was unsettling like the coy expression of someone who knows a secret you don't I hid my nerves and opened my phone. I go to my messages with Tawny. It was just the same as I last saw. I love you, baby. I had messaged her before bed. I love you more, my dear. She responded. 
I glanced up from my phone to my wife, and she was just stirring the roast, unaware of the little box of lies that I held in my hand. She glanced up at me. What? She said with a chuckle and a small smile. Oh, nothing. Just admiring my beautiful wife. I said as I slipped the phone in my pocket. I changed my password monthly at this point, so maybe she hadn't figured it out. Well, dinner is almost done. Why don't you have a seat? She said with a nod towards the table. I walked over to the head of the table and that's when I noticed it. The extra chair and extra play setting. Babe, what's this about? I asked her, pointing a thumb to the extra place. Oh, we're having someone for dinner, she said excitedly as she walked over and set the crock pot gently on the table. She took my plate and puts a heaping helping of roast on it. I was still suspicious of whatever she did that needs such an extravagant apology dinner. She then took her plate and gives herself a serving and sits down. Who's coming for dinner? I asked her with a confused tone and she just laughed and sat down. I look again at the empty play setting. Megan, who's coming for dinner? I asked again, a little frustrated at being ignored. But she just laughed again as she cut her roast and popped a bite into her mouth. And she inhaled sharply and looked to the upper left of her vision as if she were thinking. Why don't you tell me about Tani? She asked with a smile as she cut off another mouthful. My heart drops and ice water runs through my body knowing that I've been caught. She's, she's a, a colleague. I sputter out and Meg scoffs at me. Yeah, yeah, a colleague who sends you a picture of her rack. She asks and stares intently at me. I drink some water to buy myself some time to think of an answer. It's not like that, Meg. I say sheepishly. I look down at my plate to start cutting aimlessly at the meat, fidgeting, making me feel less anxious. It's only a matter of time before she flies off the handle. I'm sure it's not. She's cute. I can't blame you. Hot little blonde, 22-year-old. I'm sure she has no dad. That's why she's such a slut, right? That's why you're willing to be her daddy, yeah? She grills me as she punctures her roast with her fork and has another slice. The sound of her fork scraping her teeth were worse than nails on a chalkboard. I take a bite of my dinner as I mull over my next move. I chewed slowly to milk as much time as I can and come up with a way out of this. I begin the speech every person who's been in my situation tells. Meg, listen, I'm sorry, it didn't mean- No! 
She cut me off as she stabs another fork into her roast and points at me. No, you're not gonna do that. I'm not fucking stupid. It wasn't an accident. You did it and now you're gonna face what you did. She says to me. This statement catches me off guard. Why? What do you mean? I ask her, feeling like I'm finally getting to the bottom of her antics. Tani didn't know you're married, did she? She asks me with an evil smile. No, she didn't. I say as I stare down at my plate and slowly chew another mouthful. Anything to stall the shame of admitting what I did. Truthfully, I don't feel bad for lying to Meg. I feel bad for lying to Tawny. I know Meg would have never let me leave. So I'm just leading that sweet girl on. Yeah, I figured as much. Your birthday isn't a good phone password, you know. She says to me before taking a sip of her Malo. It was so easy to text her and ask if she wanted to come have dinner with her sweet, sweet lover, Isaac. She says, still holding the glass to her lip and smiling. She isn't even looking at me, just looking off into the distance like she's revealing her genius plan to get me caught. That's who's coming? Meg, come on, you're mad at me, not her. Why would you want to embarrass her like this? I lied. That doesn't make her a homewrecker. I said quickly as I stomped towards the window to look out it. Our street is pretty quiet, but she hasn't arrived yet. And I can't see cars coming. I didn't want her to find out and have her leave me. Tani is the last bit of love I have left in this pathetic existence I'm living. I don't want to lose her. I peered around the neighborhood as quickly as I could for any hint she's arriving. Isaac, sit down, she said sternly. No, this is bullshit. I really can't believe you'd stoop this. Sit the fuck down, she yells as she thrusts the carving knife into the table. Not wanting to piss her off any further, I oblige. Here's how it's going to be. I don't want a divorce. We're going to be together forever like you promised me. Her getting cut loose is the only way. I'm not going to share my man, not with a little whore like her, she says. Okay, well we can talk about this, but she's not fucking coming here for dinner, I say. As I pick up my phone and begin calling her number and hopes to come up with an excuse fast enough as to why she can't come home. Looking for another excuse to fidget, I hold my phone with my shoulder and begin cutting the meat for another bite. And that's when I hear it. The muffled ringing coming from the drawer under the sink. What the fuck? Was she already here, Meg? I ask. And Meg starts laughing to herself. I open the drawer to see Tawny's phone and the ring I got her for our Valentine's date. There was one of her birthstone earrings. And worst of all, 
little clump of wheat-colored hair tied up in a black ribbon. I looked at my wife, seething with rage and hatred. Meg, what the fuck did you do? I ask her. She gets up and puts a firm and painful grip to the back of my neck and quickly guides me to the table. She sharply lurches my upper body forward till I'm parallel with the table hovering over the crock pot. She removed the lid and when the steam cleared from my face on the roast, I see the vague shape I am very familiar with. A little butterfly on the roast. The one I've ran my hands over many times. My stomach turns and I feel lightheaded and hot tears run down my face and into the dish. Feels like all the air has been sucked out of my body and I could die right now. This can't be real. It can't be real. My wife leans her lips almost to touch my ear. And with that sickening, syrup-sweet voice, she whispered, I told you, we were having her for dinner. My girlfriend and I were chased by a satanic cult in the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia. Written by Random Guy Speaks. This happened in the summer of 2017. My girlfriend and I are from St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. We both attended university there and decided to take a road trip through the United States to celebrate our graduation. Our destination was Miami, Florida. Our family owns a condo near the beach, so we had a free place to stay. We decided to drive instead of fly because we wanted to see a bit of the country on the way and also visit a few friends. The trip usually takes about 20 to 24 hours by car nonstop. We were planning on making multiple stops. The first part of the road trip was a wonderful experience. We went shopping in Buffalo and then made our way down to Pittsburgh and managed to catch a Pirates game. However, once we hit West Virginia, things began to change. It was nothing but endless wilderness and a few small towns sprinkled in between. We had plans to meet up with some friends for dinner in Charlotte, North Carolina, so we wanted to get through West Virginia ASAP. We only made stops when we absolutely had to, and we ended up stopping for gas at a pretty remote spot. My girlfriend and I got out of the car, and I started pumping gas, and she went inside to use the washroom and pick up some snacks. My tank was about half full when I heard a voice behind me ask, Y'all lost? I looked behind me and saw a middle-aged white man 
with long, messy brown hair that reached down to his shoulders, and an unkept beard with dashes of grays and what looked to be drops of dried up mucus. His clothes were torn up and dirty, and he smelled like a mixture of beer, sweat, pee, and feces. He was a little overweight, but pretty tall. I'm six feet, and he was probably about four inches taller than me. The teeth he still had were a yellowish brown. On his right cheek, just under his eye, was a tattoo of some kind of pentagram. I'm pretty into YouTube videos about true crime and cults, so I was able to recognize what it was pretty quickly. He was standing very close to my face, to the point where the smell of his breath was making me dizzy, so I backed up. No, sir, just passing through, I said nervously. Not too often we see Taurus passing through these parts, he responded. Where are you headed? And as he said this, he moved even closer than before. I had my back up against the car, and I couldn't move back any further. I wanted to get away from this guy as quickly as possible, but the car was still filling up with gas, and my girlfriend was still inside the gas station. I didn't want this dude to know where we were really going, so I just told him that we were visiting family in Kentucky and that they were expecting us. And after I said this, he cracked a weird half smile, opening his mouth just wide enough for me to get a good look at his teeth again. And I'll never forget that face. His bloodshot eyes were staring deep into my soul. He let out a weird and sinister laugh. <laughs> How lovely, he said. I'll see you kids around. Then he walked away. I was very relieved that he walked away, but also terrified by his last remarks. I didn't even see him when we pulled up to the gas station, so... How did he know that I wasn't alone? I figured he must have been watching my girlfriend and I when we arrived. The car was finally filled up and I saw my girlfriend walking towards the car with bags full of snacks for the road. I noticed that the weird guy was still at the gas station, only a few pumps away from us, leaning against an old red pickup truck. But, to my utter discomfort, he wasn't alone. There were two other men and one woman with him, making the group four in total. The two men were just as big as he was, but they had shaved heads. One of them was wearing a dirty white tank top, and the other had no shirt on at all. The woman was shorter, about 5'5". Five five. She was very skinny with heavy bags under her eyes and long blonde hair. They all looked like they had been living in the woods for the past 10 years. 
and they were staring and pointing at us, talking amongst themselves. And as soon as my girlfriend got to the car, I urgently told her to get in. Now, usually I'm a pretty calm guy, so when my girlfriend noticed that I was kind of freaking out, she knew something was up. We quickly entered the car. I locked the doors and I began hauling gas out of the gas station. But as we pulled around their red truck to exit, I noticed that there was another pentagram painted on the hood. I also noticed the skull of a goat or a ram on their windshield. The four people began getting into their truck as they saw us leaving. I knew they were going to follow us as soon as we left. I explained the situation to my girlfriend as we were speeding away from the gas station. We were zooming down the road and I looked at my rearview mirror and as expected, the red truck was right behind us. I sped up even more and they did too. I made a left, they did too. I made a full U-turn and they did as well. My girlfriend managed to get reception and dialed 911. We gave the operator our location and they gave us the directions to the nearest police station. The operator also asked for the license plate, but the truck didn't have any. Once we were off the phone with them, my girlfriend stuck her cell phone outside the window and started pointing to it, letting the creeps know that we called the police. They finally got the message and stopped following us. We arrived to the police station and filed a report. We gave them the description of the truck and the suspects. And the investigator said that they would call us if they had any more information. We were extremely shaken, but also relieved. All we wanted to do at that point was get the hell out of West Virginia. We thought we had shaken the group for good, but unfortunately, we were wrong. We decided to drive through the night to cover as much ground as possible. The area of the Appalachian we were in had no street lights, and I could only see what my headlights allowed me to see. Everything was fine until I noticed two headlights in my rear view mirror. First, I didn't think anything of it, but I kept an eye on them. And the headlights got closer and closer until they were tailgating us. And to my complete shock and horror, it was the same red truck from the gas station. These people had somehow found us again and were right behind us. It's them, I yelled. My girlfriend began to freak out and dialed 911. And I floored the gas pedal, not even knowing what was 10 meters in front of me. All we cared about was escaping. We got a mile up the road until my girlfriend yelled, watch out! There were three dead cows blocking the narrow road. 
and I slammed on the brakes. The red truck was right behind us and we couldn't go forward. We knew we fell into a trap. All of a sudden, a naked man wearing a goat mask darted from out of the woods and began hitting our car with what looked like a large axe. The naked man got on the hood of our car and started making sheep noises. My girlfriend was still on the phone with 911, but all she could do was scream. The people behind us got out of the red truck and began walking toward our car. And two of them had rifles and one of them had a large machete. I knew what I had to do. I put the car into reverse and floored it. The naked man fell off of our car and we smashed into the truck and I managed to knock it into a ditch. After the truck was out of the way, I pulled the fastest U-turn of my life and we got out of there. The people were yelling all types of things at us as we drove away. And I drove as fast as I could away from these people until we finally arrived in a town and filed another police report. My girlfriend and I were uninjured, thankfully, but we were extremely traumatized. The car was still drivable after that, so we were able to get the fuck out of West Virginia the next morning. This entire experience made my girlfriend and I scared to do any more road trips. I still call the local police department in West Virginia once in a while to see if they had any more leads on these people. But so far, they have found nothing. The fact that these people were still able to find us after we went to the police station and drove far away still scares and baffles me to this day. Who knows what kind of sick and twisted things this cult had planned if they managed to catch us. Stay safe out there, everyone. Daddy's Never Gonna Hurt You Again Written by Bernd Schmidt I was my dad's only child. For most daughters, your dad is your gauntlet. A perpetual steel curtain. But what happens when the shield instead becomes the dagger? When you're six, you'll do what you have to do in order to survive because running away is not an option. I knew it was coming. No revelation here. It was Friday night and once night had spread its gem across the horizons and it was only my mother and I. The dreaded routine of beatings and graspings at the straws of futility had turned clocks into time bombs. Tick, tick, tick. It was on its way but I didn't know when, until Mama spoke. Go, Lily, go sit in the closet and wait for me. 
My mother was a Cuban immigrant with nothing but courage flowing through her veins. Still, I never understood at the time what a restraining order was, nor why it could so easily be broken. The rattling old engines thrumming isolated the floorboards and potent gagging exhaust fumes began to flow through the vents. I could only recoil and grit my teeth. Evasion was my only defense. Predicting the level of his rage depended on the force of the car door slamming. So, when it audibly shattered the driver's side window, I knew undoubtedly that the oncoming storm would be a dam breaker. As a child, my anxiety would render me motionless and stiff. A spider flashlit in a corner. I couldn't will my brain into making split decisions for myself. So, when the door was being kicked in, hinges on the fray and the immutable words, Helena, Helena, you bitch! That door better be unlocked! Seeped through the wall's invisible pores. I was rendered icebound in a primordial stasis of terror, even if running was the best choice. As the inevitable, gruesome point of contact raced to its apex, I'd masterfully disassociated my body by focusing on two ants on the floor, carrying piles of potato chip crumbs. When the thud of my mother's body hit the kitchen floor, I was restrained into a sort of cosmic blur. The lumbering insect's spherical armor became magnified under my icy stare, and all I could fantasize about was my own incorruptible cloak of armor. If only, if only I could unwittingly escape the horrors inevitable to come by staring at a scrape on the wall or a dent in the burrow and imagine myself watching from the other side of the room to cope until it ended every single time. As for my mother, this night, no words were uttered. She never got a chance. Lily, baby, daddy's home. Come out and daddy won't be mad. Muscles tensed agonizingly tight. I was petrified, stuffed and mounted over hell's mental tears streaming down my cheeks. I'd learned to cry silently. The stumbling, uneven footsteps on the first floor told me he was more inebriated than usual. And also it told me that mom was really hurt. Usually she'd fight him with every fiber of her being on his way to the staircase, despite it always resulting in bloodshed. And then, one, two, three, the footsteps creaked up the steps. Lily, here I come. Better be special for me tonight. Be a good girl and come out. Mom always instructed me to hide in different places, but never ever told me to just leave. The internal force of my inability to react, the external evil of my impending doom had me feeling what was most familiar to me and most alien to my peers at school. 
that was acceptance. At only six years old, I was already prepared to die. Four, five, almost up the steps. I was a caged lizard under a descending hand, wanting so terribly to escape. To harness the bravery to run to the bathroom and hide behind the curtain, but too frightened to act on it. Why couldn't I be a brave little girl? Mommy, if ghosts exist, then please do something. Then that inevitable snapping of the broken top step. He's here. Dad was at the top of the steps. The bathroom, the shower curtain, hide in plain sight. Do it, Lily. It's your only chance. The first place he'll look is the closet. I was screaming inside. Then I heard the bathroom door slowly creak open. Steps moving inside. And then the shower curtain. Metal against metal. He'd ripped it off the hinges. No Lily there! Where could she be? Where did mommy hide you this time? Sweating. Heart racing, fingers running up and down the delicate skin of my belly, brushed over the softness of my feeble, brittle little arms, over top of the already existing fault and fracture of years bygone. An artistic masterpiece of scars without rhyme, reason, or compassion. How much worse will it get? How much more blood would I lose once again? Dad was just outside the bedroom. And then the footsteps halted right outside the door. By the sound of the metal against the hollow door, I knew tonight he had a bat. Broke my legs with it once. I began to grip and tear at my clothes, pull at my thinning hair, and finally, I couldn't hold it in any longer. I began crying profusely in an effort to merely survive, even if it meant bruises and lacerations or even disfigurement. I stood up and got ready to step out into the shadow of the indomitable, paternal nemesis bearing down on me. Growing in the darkness like a flat iron at dusk, ready to take the whipping, beating, or worse, that thing which would awaken me in sweat for my nightly terrors. If baby girl's in the closet, come out! Come out wherever you are! I'd accepted my fate, even rationalized it as simply the divine nature of karmic disaster, which has always spun in my orbit. It would always be this way. Why? The Lord always works in mysterious ways. And then a dull, audible tack noise exploded across the house, and the floor shook loose ceiling plaster from a loud slam. Dad was so drunk, he'd fallen over. Maybe now I could run, but I couldn't get my legs to move. And then, the visual of my mom's bloody corpse flashed in my mind. And miraculously, something imperceptible jogged loose 
my conscious will. And I sprung up and ran. I pushed out of the closet and sprinted to the door, prepared to jump over Dad's half-conscious body, evade the grappling swoop of his arm, and escape out the back door. But as I approached the door, I was halted in my tracks. Standing in the hallway was my mother, unharmed and untouched. And at her feet, Dad's lifeless body with an axe in his back. I gazed up at my mother with watery eyes and wonder and astonishment. And when her eyes met mine, she said the sweetest thing to ever fall upon my ears. Mama found a good hiding spot, baby. Daddy's never going to hurt you again. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please consider becoming a member of my Patreon page, where you can have access to over 200 episodes with no ads, no promo, no bullshit. Just scary stories which you can download or listen to through an exclusive podcast feed. You'll have access to the entire Scarecast catalog, my bedtime story collection, and over 40 episodes never before released on the podcast. You can join by visiting patreon.com slash the scarecast. All information will be posted in the description of this episode. Also, follow my Instagram at the scarecast for podcast updates. If you can also rate and review this podcast on your respective podcast player, that will help a lot. As always, be safe out there. And until next time.